Late Night Council is a production of Council Communications. This is Late Night Council. This is bigger. This is very big. There's definitely something here. Apparently, it's a big deal. It's all over the news. It's a real thing. A radio signal from another world. John Council. That's my grandpa. Well, your story is very compelling. Your chance to make history. That's pretty cool, I guess. Give it to me straight. John, you're in charge. So you like the little kid's voice? You know, it says, that's my grandpa. That's my, that's my, that's my grandson. And there's a lot of people that have, you know, in the past, they've commented on the theme to Late Night Council. And they said, that's my favorite part there. Well, the little guy, is he was three years old when he did that. He's seven now. Yeah, and he's, he's seven going on 21. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, not going to talk about my grandkids, even though I'm more proud of them than anything. They're going to be at my house tomorrow morning at 7 in the morning. And they're merciless, man. You have to pay attention to them. Or they will burn the house down. Like most grandkids, welcome to Late Night Council. Welcome to Ask the Pastor. Uh, it's open line, open topic, whatever you want to talk about tonight. 343-700-4390 in the capital region. That would be Gatineau, Chelsea, uh, you know, the, the five regions that used to be independent and successful before we amalgamated as one in the city of Ottawa, being Gloucester, Canada, Nepean, the old city of Ottawa, and Orleans. Now we're one. Yeah, they said we're they were gonna uh, uh, you know reduce duplication of services. <laughs> it was gonna save us money. <laughs> All right, oh, I'm getting political. I shouldn't. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. Three four three seven hundred forty three nine. I know you people listening in California and in Germany are going. What? I don't. Who cares? Come on, get to the important stuff. Three four three seven hundred forty three ninety. That's the capital region. I am going to start off the program tonight. I am going to start talk talk about some local stuff here. But I promise you, if you're listening from outside the capital region, you are going to. Be be interested in what I'm going to bring up because I'm sure the same issue goes on in your your town. Uh, something that's going on here that I believe has had uh, uh, national news media as well. Uh, uh, anyway, three four three seven hundred forty three ninety. It's ask the pastor. I uh, you can bring any to the program, okay? And uh, I'm going to do my best to give you the biblical perspective on it, the faith perspective on it. What's the deeper meaning? What's the real reason behind a lot of the stuff we hear about? A lot of stuff in news I don't talk about because I don't care, you know. But, you know, if you care about something, if you think, you know, I could, there, you, there could be a biblical perspective on it, or maybe you just going to want to get on the air and rant, feel free. 343-700-4390 in the Ottawa Capital Region. 343-700-4390. Now, if you're uh, calling from, like, a, a long ways away, like, I don't know, Needles, British Columbia. Now, I wonder if they've got a safe injection site in Needles, British Columbia, do you think? If you're calling from Needles, uh, British Columbia, if you're calling from Copperopolis, uh, California. If you're calling from Poverty Ridge, Illinois, or Cuba, Kentucky, we don't have a toll-free line into the into the, into the, uh, Cuba, okay, uh, the country. But Cuba, Kentucky, if you're there, one eight four four five six two four seven six six. That number is good for all over North America. One eight four four five six two four seven six six. You can email me. You got to keep it under six lines, and it's got to be airworthy, okay? JC at LateNightCouncil.com. JC at LateNightCouncil.com is the email exchange. You can tweet at me by going to uh, Twitter.com slash JWCouncil. 
or maybe it's at JW Council. I don't know. If you go on Twitter.com and you type in JW Council, I will come up pretty quick, and you can post something on there. And you know what's really cool? If you tweet at me on Twitter, all your followers are going to see what you're saying to me, whether I deal with your tweet or not, okay? So they're going to think, whoa, I, we like that, you know? So you might have you know, somebody thinking that what you said was really cool, even if it doesn't get on the air, and I'll do my best. But I, I do want to warn you that calls take precedence, okay? When we have calls, they take precedence over emails. They take precedence over tweets because uh, it is primarily a phone-in show when it's going well. Uh, you know, sometimes we don't get calls, and it's some of those, those some of the best shows we've ever had. Of course, all these shows are available uh, for download at LateNightCouncil.com and uh, the iTunes app. And uh, there's a few other places that are still carrying uh, uh, our shows, and you can listen to them at your leisure. The little guy, three years old, you know, that you heard? That's my grandpa, who's seven years old now. His great-grandpa, that would be my dad, died 28 years ago today. And I thought it was kind of cool, because the title of my message that I preached at Christ Church this morning, which is the, 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 the church I pastor, and if you want to check out Christchurch, just go ChristchurchOttawa.com. Uh, <clears throat> we had, we've only got my last four messages up there because it's a brand new church. And we've gotten up and running, and it takes a while for all the technology and all the things to come together. But uh, uh, I preached a message this morning entitled Unleashing God. Unleashing God. And I thought it was kind of cool because I didn't realize it until after the message was prepared, it was all ready to go, that this Sunday was the anniversary of my dad's death, who was also a pastor. And the last message he ever preached was entitled let god be god and i was doing a lot of preaching in the church while he was sick and then did even more preaching after he died and the first sermon i preached when i came back after my dad's death was let god be god part two so here we go on on the 20th anniversary of his death he preaches on let god be god and i'm preaching on unleashing god kind of the same title don't you think does that seem spooky to you i think it's kind of cool if you don't think so that's fine you're allowed to think for yourself. We still live in a, in a, in a semi-free country. And uh, the freedoms that we still have, we want to take advantage of because uh, they're quickly eroding. Now, and you want to talk about that, that's fine. Or anything else is on your mind. 343-700-4390 in the Ottawa region. That's 343-700-4390. And long distance is one 562 We've got quite a thing going on here in Ottawa. And... Uh, I have had uh, great relations with the Salvation Army. Oh, yeah, I always, you know, had good, also had, a, always had a great relationship with them. But when I went out to Manitoba, I, I started working with them actively. And when I came to Ottawa, you know, I had some, uh, you know, great interaction with them, working on projects together. And uh, uh, I love the Salvation Army. I think the Salvation Army is, and I know that or, no organization is perfect, but man, they in my eyes, they can't do any wrong. I, I have just met so many godly, wonderful, humble, Christ-like people in the Salvation Army. And when you get into their history, if you ever go on Google and research William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, and the circumstances that were in play in London, England in the 1840s and 1850s when that thing was started up, I mean, this guy was incredible. I mean, he was just... You want to have a mentor and a hero and somebody to give you inspiration. You start reading about William Booth. This guy is just amazing, okay? And, and, and to their credit, the Salvation Army, to a great degree, have really retained, well, I mean, the, 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 the maxim, the slogan they used to go by in the Salvation Army, oh, all the way up to maybe the 1920s or the 1930s, was blood and fire. 
well, that sounds kind of gory, doesn't it? You know, Salvation Army, military. And, and that sounds kind of like, well, I don't know if I like that. Well, the blood represented the blood of Christ that cleanses from sin and pays the price for sin and, and transforms people's lives. And the fire, the fire represented the fire of the Holy Ghost that empowers and refines and makes us more Christ-like. And, and really, that's at the core of what the original Salvation Army uh, uh, was when they started. And, and, you know, they haven't deviated too far from it and uh, still doing an amazing work. Well, when I was doing uh, uh, talk radio downtown on CFRA, just down the street on George Street was the main Salvation Army uh, uh, ministry center, you know, where people would go in and get counseled. Big building, about four stories. And I've spoken many times in that, uh, uh, in that facility. And they announced last week, and, and I mean, it's been in the making for about a year now, but they, they really started to go public. They announced that they want to move the facility, they want to move their main base of operations to Vanier, about maybe, uh, maybe three kilometers east and in the town of Vanier. Now, um, I'm very familiar with Vanier because uh, I was pastoring in that community for three and a half years. As a matter of fact, just about three or four blocks from the proposed site of where they want to put this $50 million complex, which I'm going to describe to you in a second, okay? And it made media here in Ottawa this week because the residents of Vanier, okay? Now, this is a bunch that I was ministering to for three and a half years. I mean, and, and it's it, we haven't turned our back on Vanier because we still got all kinds of people from that neighborhood that come to our church that's in, that meets in Lower Town right now on Sunday. And... Uh, uh, um, a lot of the residents there, they're, they're furious. They don't want the Salvation Army setting up shop in Vanier on Montreal Road. They're really ticked off. I'll give you a little bit of what was in yesterday's Ottawa Sun here. Last week, the Salvation Army announced it had decided to proceed with plans to relocate its Byward Market residents and emergency shelter. The $50 million plan calls for a 9,600-square-meter multipurpose facility that would house an emergency shelter, day programs, medical facility, addiction services, and administrative offices, okay? I, I, I desperately needed work, okay? And this, remember, this is not a government thing. This is, this is private, and, and uh, you know, it's vo- volunteer-based, and the people that work there and put hours and hours and hours, I mean, the volunteer list they have is, is, is monumental, in fact, I would suggest that there's few organizations here in the Capital Region that have more volunteers than Salvation Army, okay? They're not number one, but they're certainly up there. And uh, what they do is super, super necessary, uh, particularly since in, in, in Ontario in the last uh, oh, 15, 20 years, I mean, we have closed, you know, mental health institutions. And, you know, when you go in the hospital, I mean, you're in and out in no time. And we are in debt. Anybody that deals with the homeless and deals with addicts and deals with people that are on the streets at Ottawa knows that we are desperate, desperate, desperate for drug rehab centers. And we could use, really, we could use probably... Another five to ten facilities, just like this one that Salvation Army is putting up, and we still wouldn't be, you know, adequately serving the, you know, uh, the problem here in this city. We're like uh, many other, you know, metropolitan areas in in North America, where we're, we're at least in Canada, where we desperately, desperately need uh, drug rehab centers and uh, and other facilities of the like. So when I read that these wonderful people that I spent three and a half years going, driving into, you know, uh, the church I pastored in Vanier every three and a half years, up in arms, and, you know, they don't want this, they don't, and their excuse is, we don't want this undesirable element in our neighborhood. And some of the things they've said, 
you know, as to why they don't, I don't even want to repeat them on my program. And I got a lot more freedom, you know, to say what I want online than I ever had on radio. And it's just because it's degrading to people that are suffering. And, and I, have a, I have a simple question. I have some simple questions. And I'd really, you know, if you know anybody from Vanier, you know, that's listening right now, get them online and get them listening to this, okay? Or they can, you know, download the podcast already. But I'd really like some interaction with some people that are living in Vanier tonight. You residents that are complaining in, 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 in Vanier about the Salvation Army moving in, let me ask you something. Do the addicted, do the homeless, do the poor, do they deserve help? Do they? Now, are you going to cop out and say, well, yeah, they deserve help, but not in my backyard? Well, really? Really? You do realize, okay, you people that are fighting the Salvation Army from moving into Vanier, you, you do realize that you're criticizing an organization that's, you know, uh, uh, only purpose is to help poor people and suffering people. That's their driving force. You are pinning yourself against an organization that all they care about are people who are poor and suffering. And I've known leaders of the Salvation Army for decades. And, you know, some of these people are brilliant, sharp people who could probably be making three and four and five times and ten times the amount of money they're making. But they choose to give themselves to a life of service for the poor and the suffering. You people in Vanya, you do realize those are the type of people that you're fighting there. I mean, <laughs> my goodness, I mean, like, they were down the street, and I spoke often at uh, uh, their facility in the Byward Market. Very familiar with it. I don't mind hanging around poor people at all. Because the person that I've given my life for, my greatest hero, my Savior and Lord, you know, that's exactly the way he was. Now, I'm going to push it a little bit further here, okay? Why, why shouldn't I, and it's my personal opinion, but why shouldn't I think that fighting this new facility is just selfish, arrogant, political strutting? Isn't that all it is? Tell me why I shouldn't think that. Tell me why I shouldn't think that the people fighting the relocation of the Salvation Army to Vanier, why should I not think that all it is is selfish, arrogant, and I would say rude as well, political strutting? Jesus, do I, do I have to use stronger language to get your attention? Because I'm, I'm about to here, okay? And there's going to be some churchy types that are going to be upset. And I'm going to get emails, you know. Oh, you shouldn't talk like that. You're on the airwaves, you know. Listen, Jesus basically tells people who ignore the poor to go to hell. Do you know that? Oh, John, how could you talk like that? Well, let me read to you from Matthew 25, 41 to 46. Okay? This is Jesus talking. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. 
Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. I mean, that's pretty explicit there. He tells people that don't care about the poor and don't want to have anything to do with them, you're going to hell. Don't argue with me. I'm not being stark, okay? I just read you the passage. And this is a personal beef of mine. If it's one of yours, maybe you can call in and agree. If you're not, you think I'm being unfair, you call in and we'll yak about it. The way North American Christianity ignores the poor sometimes, is no, most of the time, is scandalous. I really think it is. And I would say to you, if you're at a church right now, that ignores the poor, or maybe just gives lip service. You know, gives money to them. You know, we'll throw money at them, and then we'll, you know, our consciences will feel better. If you're in a church that ignores the poor, get out. Get out. Because I think Jesus left your church long ago. You cannot, you cannot, I don't think you can call yourself a serious follower of Christ if you ignore the poor, based on what I've just read. And that's not the only verse that he talked about. When it came to the poor and to the needy. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is filled with scripture where Jesus is warning against the deceptiveness of wealth. And he reminds people all the time of what it means to be truly, truly his follower. And a huge part of it is taking care of people that can't take care of themselves. Oh, I feel so much better getting that off my chest now. So now what do you need to get off your chest? Three four three seven hundred forty three ninety. That's three four three seven hundred forty three ninety. One eight four four five six two four seven six six is the long distance line. You can email me at JC at late night council. You can tweet at me at JW Council. Now, I hesitated to put this tune on tonight because it's long. It's not really a tune. It's almost like a mini. What would I call it? It's not really a rock opera because, well, yeah, it is. It's kind of like a, a pop style. But it is a, it is a one of the most powerful, I'll call it a musical sermon. It is one of the most powerful musical sermons I have ever heard. Some of you, and you, you know that I've played a lot of Keith Green's music. He's the incredible Christian artist that died in a plane crash. Oh, it's, uh, it's 34 years now. He died in 83 and he put out, you know, uh, some incredible music. He wasn't just a great music, uh, musician. I really think the guy was a prophet. I really think that there was that he was literally speaking to Western culture when he was writing his music. And about 40 years ago, 40, 38 years ago around then, he put out this mini sermon called The Sheep and the Goats, okay? And I have never played The Sheep and the Goats on any broadcast I have ever done. But boy, does it ever speak to this whole issue here in, 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 with the Salvation Army moving to Vanier. Does it ever speak to churches that think, you know, their, their, their purpose is just to get bigger and bigger and more elaborate and more elaborate and put on a better show every Sunday? Oh, does he nail it. So this is what, what I'm going to do. Got to hear from our sponsors, and we're so thankful to have them on board because we couldn't be doing broadcasting without our sponsors. And then you're going to hear about a seven-and-a-half-minute long musical sermon by Keith Green, and I want to hear your reaction to it. It is amazing. Okay, I mean, the music's terrific, too. You just hear the guy play the keyboard. He's fantastic. But I, I'm encouraging you to, to really listen to what he's saying and what he's singing, and then we'll be, we'll be right back. 
after that. This is a late night council, and uh, we're not on a radio station. We're not on anything that's restrictive anyway. You have joined us because you came to the website, and uh, we're glad to have you uh, with us. And uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a phenomenal time tonight, all the way to eleven o'clock. Stay with us. EMM Group is the authorized Integraspec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete forms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. And when the Son of Man comes, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit on his glorious throne, and he shall divide the nations before him, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he shall put the sheep on his right, put the goats on his left. And he shall say to the sheep, Come ye, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was sick, and I was in prison, and you came to me. Thank you. Enter into your rest. shall answer him yes they shall answer him and they'll say Lord when when were you hungry Lord and we gave you something to eat Lord when were you thirsty can't remember and we gave you drink when were you naked Lord and we clothed you Oh, Lord, when were you a stranger and we invited you in? I mean, we invited lots of people in. But Lord, I'd never forget that face. Oh, Lord, when were you sick and we visited you? Or in prison and we came to you? Lord, tell us. Inasmuch as you've done it to the least of my brethren, You've done it unto me. Oh, yes. Inasmuch as you've done it to the very least of my brethren. Oh, you've done it. You've done it unto me. Enter into your rest.
shall turn to those on his left, the goats. Depart from me, you cursed ones, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was naked, out in the cold, in exposure, and you sent me away. I was a stranger and I knocked at your door. But you didn't open, you told me to go away. I was sick, wrapped in pain upon my bed, and I begged and prayed and pleaded that you'd come, but you didn't. I was in prison. you'd come. I heard your programs on the radio and read your magazines, but you never came. Depart from me. Lord, there must be some mistake. When? Lord, uh, when? I mean, when were you hungry, Lord? We didn't give you something to eat. I mean, Lord, when were you thirsty and we didn't give you a drink? I mean, that's not fair. Well, would you like something now? One of the angels want to go out and get the Lord a hamburger and a Coke? Yeah. Oh, you're not hungry. Uh, yeah, I, I lost my appetite too. Uh, Lord, uh, Lord, when were you naked? I mean, that's not fair either, Lord. We didn't even know what size you wear. Well, well Lord, what, when were you a stranger, Lord? You weren't one of those creepy people that used to come to the door, were you? Oh, Lord, that wasn't our ministry, Lord. I, we just didn't feel led, you know? But, Lord, uh, Lord, when were you sick? What did you have anyway? Well, at least it wasn't fatal. Oh, it was? Oh, I'm sorry, Lord. I would have sent you a card. Lord, uh, just one last thing. We want to know. Uh, when were you in prison, Lord? Lord, what were you in for anyway? I had a friend in Leavenworth. Enough! Inasmuch as you've not done it to the least of my brethren, you've not done it unto me. Inasmuch as you've not done it to the least of my brethren, you've not done it unto me.
depart from me. And these shall go away into everlasting fire. But the righteous into eternal life. And my friends, the only difference between the sheep and the goats, according to the scripture, is what they did and didn't do. You ever heard that before? 343-700-4390 if you want to call in and comment. 343-700-4390. That's exactly what I thought when I read the news of all these people in Banyay protesting the Salvation Army setting up shop on Montreal Road. I wonder if they're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to say the same thing that he says in uh, Matthew 25. Everything Keith Green was singing there, most of it he's quoting scripture. He's putting a little bit of a uh, you know, contemporary spin on it. But you can't get away from that if you you know consider the Bible to be relevant. Three four three seven hundred forty three ninety. That's three four three seven hundred forty three ninety. One eight four four five six two four seven six six. Who we got on the line here? Let's see. Who's on the line? Hello. Hi, John. It's Mika. Hi, Mika. How you Hello. doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Man, you haven't called in a long time, Mika. What's up? Now, Mika, you What's live in Vanier. You live in Vanier, don't you? Yes, I do. Okay, so tell me what you think of all this. All right. Well, I will tell you, um, first of all, most of the people that are um, opposing themselves to the Salvation Army, we are not opposed to having the Salvation Army in Vanier. We are opposed to the size and the function and the location of the building that they are proposing. Ah, that sounds can like I you're against you going into Vanier. Because I, figure, no, because the big, I what, figure the bigger the operation they have and the more work they're doing, the more good work they're going to be doing. How, how, could you be, how could you be against, you know, the, the operation and what they're doing and where they're doing it? Go, go, what's the beef? Go ahead. Because they want to put emergency beds as well as um, the more long-term people that want to become clean, that want to fight alcoholism and drugs in the same facility, and there has been studies that have been done by professionals that are now recommending, and they've been recommending over the last 10 or so years, that these kinds of services be separated because the people that want to really help themselves and will be in those services have a better chance if they're not on a daily basis while they're still extremely vulnerable, exposed to people that are just coming in and out all the time. Well... With all due respect, Mika, the Salvation Army has been very, very successful in their ministries of what they've been doing for a long time, and they're willing to put in the time, and we've got all kinds of volunteers that are willing to put in the time as well. I would suggest they know what they're doing. Unfortunately, with this particular building, this is something bigger than what they've ever done. And it has been proven that it does not work, and they're having so many issues on the byword market that they're just going to replicate the same issues that they're having at this time. 
So that's why people I, I, are wanting I, I them to relook at the concept. I still have a problem with it because because you're talking about the Salvation Army, which is one of the many ministries downtown that does a good job, in my opinion, expanding. They've never done it this big before. Well, I said we could do with probably another 10 organizations building facilities the same size, and we still wouldn't be adequately, you know, uh, meeting the need. I don't see the people of Vanier who are protesting, okay? I don't see any of them getting behind anything that's going to be doing a better job because the government is certainly not going to put any money towards it. And when somebody's willing willing to do what Salvation Army is going to do, I'm very, very slow to criticize whether, you know, what they do is working as well as I know what they're doing is working better than doing nothing. And I'd like to know all these people that are protesting. Tell me which organizations you are involved in, you know, that are doing a better job with people that need drug rehab and, 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 you know, uh, need to be brought off the streets and need to be, you know, uh, rehabilitated. Because I've been in the building and I've I've been had a chance to, you know, to to work with these people. And, you know, I've talked to dozens and dozens whose lives are they're transformed. They're changed and they wouldn't happen without the Salvation Army. And I'm not saying that the Salvation Army does not do good work. There's a lot that they do that is good. But not good but enough to there's move also, into Vanier. There's also already 40 organizations plus in Vanier. As you well know, there's many organizations in Vanier. We already have four homeless shelters. So it's not that nobody else is doing the work. Plus, the Salvation Army does receive substantial funds from both federal, actually from all three levels of government, federal, municipal, and federal, so they, there is a lot of money that, that's going to be put in those services. So we would like to see those. We're, we have experts working with the residents of Vanier saying that they want to meet with the Salvation Army and try to find a better solution to what they're doing in order to spread out the shelters. And they haven't been willing to listen to us. As well as a Christian organization, I'm very concerned with the Salvation Army because not only have they been not willing to listen to the community, just even sit down and have a question and answer period, they have been utilizing very negative tactics in terms of character assassination of of the people of Vanya and the politicians that are involved, and they have been lying about a lot of things. Oh, okay. so I'm now, very now, accusing people of lying there. That's that's going quite a step there, Mika. Because yes, I have heard their, I have heard their side of it as well, okay? And they would say that this has been politically spun on the other side and they have given all sorts of, uh, you know, notice that they were coming and they were never asked to meet with, uh, uh, they would tell you that they were never asked to, uh, to meet with the public over, over how it should be done. Okay. I mean, it seems as though, it seems as though a lot of people are telling them how to do their job that you say you got four shelters there. And, and I mean, I deal enough with the homeless people and addicts in this city to know that if you got four, you know, in Vanya, you would probably need, and you still wouldn't be adequately meeting the need, probably a dozen. Okay. And in down, Downtown even more. So to say that the and, to even I, suggest that the need is adequately uh, met, I, I cannot agree with that. No, I, I'm not saying the need is adequately met. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. I do believe that we need several shelters. I do believe that smaller shelters, from the research that I've read, the people I've spoken to that have worked as social workers for 40 plus years. They are saying that what we need to do is to approach it differently and that this approach from the Salvation Army 
is outdated and the Salvation Army is not willing to listen to anything else or any other people. And I think that it's important when you're going to build something of that magnitude to communicate with the residents of that area to see if they have any objections, what they are, and to mitigate those objections. So you, and are, you, are you suggesting that us. the Salvation Army doesn't do a very good job with uh, uh, ministering to people like this? And that's the real issue, because that's what I'm hearing. Am I hearing wrong? I'm saying that the new facility they want to build is not going to be the success that they think that it's going to be because it hasn't been tried. And it actually, it has been tried in other provinces, and this is what happened with, look at, you know what Vancouver's East Hastings looks like. You've mm-hmm. heard of it if you haven't been there, but you've heard of it. Well, I have been there, and, and I, would, the I wouldn't suggest for a second that the inadequacy of the Salvation Army is to blame there. I think that is a political football that has been dropped, and there's been so many lame ideas that have only exasperated the situation out there. And, I, and to, to even uh, intimate that, you know, the Salvation I, I'm Army not blaming, anyway is unsuccessful. I'm not me, blaming the Salvation Army, there. absolutely well, I mean, not. You're bringing them into the conversation. Conversation and, and and talking about East Vancouver, how can I not? How can you not be putting the two there? You're using that as an example, Mika. Because the model that they want to implement emulates a lot of the things that have been tried there, and they're not looking at best practices that have been already proven not to work. But Mika, I'm not so seeing anybody. Why. I'm not seeing anybody. The only organization I can see that does a better job than the Salvation Army does not have any center here in Ottawa. It's Teen Challenge. They've got a center in Thunder Bay and they've got a center in London. And they're the only organization I know that works with, uh, 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 it works in drug rehab and is a fully organic and fully orbed ministry that uh, does a better job, okay? I'm not hearing from any critics of the Salvation Army that are putting forth any model that it's getting, you know, sterling reviews from anywhere. I just see what seems, saying- like, what seems like a bunch of people not in my backyard. We don't want those undesirables coming in here. That's the, that's the optics of all. this right now. That is not what we have said. We have said that we well, then want show to me the model that is Show me the model that is so successful. Show me uh, a, a, a paragon of virtue in some city somewhere that is doing it right and everybody can point to and say, that's what we need there. Because you're really in effect, if you're going down this, this road, you're telling the Salvation Army, you know, you guys don't really do it right. Here, we want to show you. Well, you better have something. I would think anybody who's going to be open-minded, you better have something that's really tearing up a lot better than they are to show to them if you're ever going to move them on how they, you know, minister to people. How about the way the mission is doing things here in Ottawa? You're familiar with the mission. Yes, you work very with much the mission. so. Very much so. They do, they do quite well. And well, their models I, I seem think, to work, I and think, their models on a much smaller scale. I think Salvation Army does quite well as well, but we seem to differ on that. Yes, we do. Absolutely, we do. And I've worked but with I both organizations, that, too. I don't see, you know, much of a difference there. No, but this new model that they're proposing is going to be vastly different. It's going to be uh, ten times bigger than anything we've ever seen. I don't, I don't think that there's... Um, that it's going to work very well because they're putting too many services in one place. You don't think that's, they could adequately staff too many have. services? Does that mean we should have smaller hospitals because big hospitals don't work? I mean, I don't understand the mentality of that. Why, why is big, if it's well-organized and it's, and it's, and it's uh, uh, operating well, I mean, 
you know, like. Uh, but at this point, I the could, facility they have downtown I, is not operating well. I could show you the facility on the byword. I could show you agencies and churches and businesses So the answer is like like getting smaller all across the board? I don't, I don't get to that. Put, but smaller, if you have a whole bunch of people that are trying to help themselves and to get and to better themselves and to move off of det- and to detox, don't you think it works better in a smaller group environment, just like counseling does, than well, to have I, I, I a would, huge I would, mega I, complex? All I know is, okay, let, let me give you a couple examples, because I'm going to Los Angeles to visit my son next week, okay? And mm-hmm. one, of the high, one of the highlights of my trip is going to be going to the Dream Center, okay? The Dream Center does a lot of what the Salvation Army does, only it's a church, Okay. And they minister in the neighborhood of, you know, like as far as uh, uh, people uh, that, that, that are homeless, that have shelters to live in, people getting off of drugs. Oh, they would be five times bigger than what the Salvation Army is proposing. And they're one of the most successful ministries to, you know, uh, the addicted and to the destitute and the homeless that there is in North America. They've been commended by the White House, okay? And it's huge, absolutely huge. So just because something's huge doesn't mean it's going to be bad, okay? Homeboy Industries is another one in L.A. that's ministered. I mean, there have been movies about this place, okay? And they, uh, they minister to thousands. And these are big, big, big operations. To say they've got to be smaller, I, I'm not getting that. But I appreciate you calling well, in, Mika. It, it, all right. Thanks Take for tuning in. A call from Vanier, that's exactly what I wanted. Well, you heard one side of it. You heard my side. You heard Mika's side. She lives there. Anybody else at Vanya that's listening or you're familiar with the uh, situation here in Ottawa, I want to hear from you. 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390. 1-844-562-4766. That's 1-844-562-4766. You can email me at jc at latenightcouncil.com. You can tweet at me at jwcouncil. In a related story... And I don't want to. I don't want to move away from the whole, you know, uh, Salvation Army moving into Vanier thing. I'm not ducking any calls at all. You want to call in? Let's go for it, okay? But I just mentioned Homeboy Industries that I have talked about on this broadcast before, okay? If you don't, if you weren't tuned in when I talked about Homeboy Industries, Homeboy Industries was started by a, a Jesuit priest, I believe it was, or it could have been a Franciscan, can't remember. Anyway, Greg Boyle took over the poorest parish in California in the middle of the, the what was then the worst gang activity in East L.A., okay, about 1980-81. And he just started loving people down there and uh, getting volunteers and working with gangs and, 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 you know, young people that had nowhere else to, nothing else to live for except violence and making the money that comes from running drugs, okay. And it evolved into something called Homeboy Industries. And one of the... Uh, uh, like they, they've gotten to the place where they would put billboards up and they would say nothing stops a bullet like a job. And he got all kinds of, you know, uh, um, businesses together and got them to promise and he would back these kids and, you know, and people started hearing about it and started donating to it. And, uh, he would get jobs for these kids when they came out of prison. And the only qualification was that they would help you find a job, but you had to have a prison record. I mean, just amazing how this whole thing is exploding. I don't have time. I could do well. There's a two-hour uh, movie that you can uh, rent from our local libraries here in uh, um, Ottawa, and <clears throat> you might even find a version of it on YouTube somewhere. And uh, I think it's called G Dog. 
because his, uh, his because of uh, you know the founder's name, uh, Greg Boyle. I gotta clear my throat. Sorry. And something happened there last week at Homeboy Industries. Now I told you I'm going to L.A. for vacation uh, in a week and a half, and the two of the highlights of going there is going to be going to the Dream Center. Now I've met. Oh, dozens and dozens of people that have spent time at the Dream Center. In fact, my daughter-in-law spent a year in a, 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 a kind of like a, a, a training discipleship course there uh, before she met my son, who are married, and they live down there. And uh, a fascinating story of the Dream Center. But Homeboy Industries, we're going to go there. they got a diner there now at Homeboy Industries. And the entire staff, the cooks, the, cooks, the waiter, waitresses, waiters, everybody, they're all kids that have gone through prison and been destitute and, and, and you know, uh, God's put their life back together through the influence of Homeboy Industries. Well, Homeboy Industries made the news. Now, not the national news, not your typical fake news, but news that, you know, you tune into late night council to hear about. And it involves somebody pretty famous that I never would have dreamed would have been connected to Homeboy Industries. Although, although... In the last few years, Hollywood and big-name celebrities have noticed what the Dream Center is doing and what Homeboy Industries is doing for the poor and for the addicted and for the incarcerated, and they've been secretly funding it and secretly you know, going in there to do their part. Well, one of them got in there this week, and some media got a hold of it, and I'm just going to give you a little bit of the account here. Comedian and Hollywood actor Jim Carrey. Ace Ventura, okay, The Mask. Comedian and Hollywood actor Jim Carrey preached the hope of Jesus to former inmates and said that he's learned that suffering leads to salvation. I'm not making this up, kids. This is Jim Carrey. The Ace Ventura star attended a Homeboy Industries event in downtown Los Angeles, California last month where he addressed former gang members, men and women, who were previously incarcerated who through the program are now striving to redirect their lives and becoming contributing members to society. Carey was introduced by Homeboy Industries founder, Father Father Gregory Boyle. In his emotional speech, Carey said, and I'm quoting him here, I want to speak to to the fact that I believe that this room is filled with God and that you are heroes to me and I admire you. You've made a decision to transcend and to leave darkness behind and and it takes a champion to make that decision. Again, I'm not giving the whole thing, but this is, I love this stuff. Your being here indicates that you've made this decision already. You've made the decision to walk through the gate of forgiveness, of grace, just as Christ did on the cross. This is Jim Carrey talking, okay? He suffered terribly, and he was broken by it to the point of doubt and feeling of absolute abandonment. That's all that he felt, Carrey explained. The 55-year-old said that in spite of being in such horrible circumstances, Jesus made the decision to look on the people responsible for his suffering with compassion and forgiveness. That's what opens the gates of heaven for all of us, he said. Not bad for a multi-million dollar comic actor, eh? Holy smoke. Now, I got to mention this, okay? We usually, you know, put all kinds of expectations, okay? All kinds of expectations when a celebrity comes to Christ. I'm speaking to other followers of Christ and other Christians, okay? And we expect them to be theologically accurate. And we expect them to be way more, we expect them to be way more spiritually mature 
than they are. And, you know, I had kind of heard some rumblings that, you know, that Jim Carrey was kind of reexamining his faith. But for him to come out and talk like that, and knowing the history of Homeboy Industries, and for him identifying with that, I'm, I'm standing up and applauding, and I'm thinking, man, something's up with this guy. I'm quite impressed. I'm very, very impressed. Aren't you? I think it's not bad, don't you think? I think we got another caller on line here. Let's see what we got here with our automatic robotic screener. Who, who we got on the line? Hello. Well, uh, I'm a recovering addict alcoholic. And my, we'll go over with the name Dan. How's that, John? Well, Dan, if that's the name you want to use, I'm fine with that. Go for it. What's on your mind? Yeah, yeah. And uh, you used to minister me, minister to me for three and a half years. So we have a we have a, a relationship. Cool. Hey, I have a John, and uh, I have uh, a lot of acquaintances there and stuff. And this moving the the Salvation Army there, I think, is a really good thing. I'm involved. Uh, I was involved with the uh, Ottawa Inner City Ministries for some time, and another great another great organization. Uh, ministry and stuff and there's not enough beds and uh, it, there's more needed and also I know people have gone through the Salvation Army program down there and been totally successful with other uh, people in the emergency need process mm-hmm. and actually one kind of helps the other because the ones getting clean and sober need to see where they're coming from and possibly can help the others. So it's like one hand washing the other. And uh, that's an interesting I, I think it's insight. a good thing. Yeah. And uh, I would like to see it spread out. And I also mentioned about the Also mentioned about the what, Dan? Beds for, for addicts and to help them. So anyways, I, I think it's a good thing. And seeing them fight against it is kind of surprising. Oh, I where was they're shocked. coming from because of the situation in Benigny. Yeah, I was shocked. I mean, so I mean, working with organizations that I'm long, and working with organizations as long as I have, and knowing the desperate, desperate need for drug rehab centers for anything for for more of what anybody is doing. You know, it's willing to put the time in. It's one thing to say, you know, yeah, they get some government breaks and government funding, but you that doesn't cut it. You got to have the staff. You got to have people that yeah. are willing to devote their yeah, lives to it, and they've got the staff to do that. So I'm very yeah. Very, you're breaking up on yeah. I'm very very slow to uh, I'm very very slow to criticize anybody that's putting that kind of time in. You know I don't want to I don't want to be guilty of telling them how to do their jobs. Can you hear me, Dan? We may have lost. Yeah, you. yeah. I have okay. now. You were up there. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, yeah. I have... Dan, you're yeah. breaking up again. What'd you I, say? You're breaking. Can yeah, you're breaking up. I, I'm going to let you go, Dan. There, there may be something uh, with your yeah. phone or my phone. I don't know what it is, but I appreciate you calling in. Yeah, and, you're uh, breaking up. I can't hear, I can't hear you. Okay, Sorry. I'm, I'm going to let you go, Dan. Boy, my computer's not even let the call go. I guess the computer likes uh, the caller better than the phone does. Well, I got two opposing viewpoints from from Vanya. I couldn't have asked for better than that, could I? Three four three seven hundred forty three ninety. If you want to get in on this, that's three four three seven hundred forty three ninety, or whatever else is on your mind. I thought Jim Carrey, identifying himself with Homeboy Industries, and you know encouraging the people that they're ministering to. I mean, that's right. That's right. That could have been the Salvation Army. You know, I don't know. Who, and he's a Canadian. Hey, 
could have been a high profile high profile uh, Canadian comedian coming into Ottawa and you know encouraging the people that are uh, that are part of uh, uh, the whole Salvation Army's ministry as well. Three four three seven hundred forty three ninety one eight four four five six two four seven six six. I gotta put another tune on. This one's kind of self-explanatory. Always loved Lenny Kravitz. Kind of a good rule here. I'm going to take a breather. We're going to hear from our partners that keep us on the air. And then we'll be right back. Stay with us.
EMM Group is the authorized Integrispec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete forms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integrispec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integrispec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, Welcome back. Hear the tune I'm playing right now? It's only a, a small snippet of it, but but I am dedicating it to to my buddy Jean, who's listening right now. Jean's the main bass player in our church, and about three weeks ago, two weeks ago, Jean went out and mortgaged his firstborn child, his motorcycle, in his home, and bought his dream bass. And he brought into church to play for our worship services a brand-new Rickenbacker bass. And if you know anything about bass guitars, a Rickenbacker bass is like the state-of-the-art. It's the same bass that Chris Squire from Yes played, which is what you just heard, a tune from Yes. Lemmy from uh, Motorhead. Uh, Paul McCartney often, you know, most of the time plays a Ricky on, on a Rickenbacker on, on, on stage. And it is... Uh, just a fabulous instrument. And I never really noticed the bass guitar until he brought this instrument into our music services. And, oh, my goodness, it just sounds fantastic. So that was for you, Jean. Hopefully you haven't turned in and gone to bed yet, and you could enjoy it. If not, I'm sure friends of yours are listening to the broadcast, and you'll be listening to it later on a podcast. But you can't phone in if you're listening to a podcast. You can only do it live, folks. And it's July the 23rd. It's 2015, 2017. Oh, listen to me. <laughs> What a moron. It is July the 23rd, 2017, and it is exactly 10 o'clock. And because this isn't conventional radio, we don't break for the news at the top of the hour, the bottom hour. We just kind of make this thing happen, and I talk to you, you talk to me, I play some tunes, and and we're all better for it, hopefully. 343-700-4390 is the Capital Region line. That's 343-700-4390. 1-844-562-4766 is the long distance line. That's 1-844-562-4766. You can email me at jc at latenightcouncil.com. You can tweet at me at jwcouncil. Haven't had anything usable on Twitter or the emails yet tonight. Hoping, hoping that some of you are going to come through. First hour, I was talking about mainly first world problems, you know? Do you know, and this this stat has been out in articles for 20 years now. If you are living, and we were talking about homelessness and addiction and people, how to minister to people. We've been talking a little bit about the Salvation Army wanting to move their main headquarters in a big facility into Vanier. And there were protests against it. We've had two calls from Vanier tonight, and I thank you, Mika and Dan. I think both of you presented your, your sides very well. And if you want to keep talking about that, that's fine. 
So that's been a bit of a theme tonight, but that's a first world problem. It really is. If you live on the poverty line in Canada, you're, if you're right on the poverty line, which is the bottom 15%, it's around there, 12 to 15%, the, the, bottom, econ, the bottom economic 12 to 15%, the lowest incomes in the bottom 12 to 15%. If you're right at the top of there, 12 to 15%, if you're living on the poverty line in Canada, you are still wealthier and enjoy a better and healthier and more productive lifestyle than 90% of the rest of the world. Did you know that? That's how, that's how blessed we are in Canada. That's how rich a country we are. Most of the world would, would almost die to have our problems. Okay? Let me give you an example. The headline reads, Iran, Iran, supposedly a, well, I don't think it'd be fair to call them a first world country, probably a second world country, okay? They like to promote the fact that they know that they're advanced and everything. But like all totalitarian regimes, you know, the people that are ruling and the friends of the people that are ruling, they're the ones that reap the benefits of the country's wealth when, you know, 90 to 98% of the country basically barely exists. So common in countries like this. The headline reads, Iran cracks down on Christian converts, sentences believers to 10 years in prison. Authorities in Iran are increasingly targeting Christian converts with arrests and imprisonments, according to the New York-based Center for Human Rights in Iran. In less than two months, since June 2017, Judge Mashallah Ahmadzadada of Branch 26 of the Revolutionary Court in Tehran has issued long prison sentences to at least 11 Christian converts and the former leader of the Assyrian Pentecostal Church in Iran. Christians are recognized as an official religious minority because, you know, they want the rest of the world to, you know, think that they've got religious freedom in Iran. What a canard that is. Christians are recognized as an official religious minority in Iran's constitution, but the state continues to persecute members of the faith, especially converts. I mean, if you convert from Islam to Christianity under, you know, uh, the the law in Iran, ho, ho, you are, you are. They're going to do more than imprison you, I'll say that. On July the 6th, this is a couple weeks ago, a judge sentenced four Protestant Christian converts to 10 years in prison each in a trial completely lacking due process, the group said, quoting Mansur Borgi, the advocacy director of the London-based group, article, uh, the London-based group uh, 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 that we mentioned earlier. I want to get this uh, 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 you know, organization right so you can, uh, yeah, Center for Human Rights in Iran, okay? Their London-based uh, group, Article 18, which defends Christians in Iran. That's the uh, article and the constitution that Iran has agreed to. But they're not abiding by it at all. I mean, these people make deals with people outside of Iran in the Western world. And, and they practice takia. Okay, takia is, is uh, a concept in Islam that it encourages and it's okay to lie to infidels and to misrepresent yourself if you feel that you are advancing the cause of Islam, particularly jihad. So Iran has no problem breaking deals with infidels if they feel that they're going to be advancing, you know, their warped concept of, uh, of Islam. The United Kingdom-based Christian Solidarity Worldwide 
their executive director, Mervyn Thomas. Okay, here's his statement. We reiterate that the national security charges leveled in all of these cases amount to the criminalization of the Christian community for exercising the right to freedom of religion or belief, and that this is occurring despite the fact that the Iranian Constitution recognizes Christianity. We urge members of the international community to extend the sanctions still in place against Iranian individuals to include members of the judiciary who are implicated in ongoing and severe harassment and persecution of religious minority communities. Christians face severe persecution in the Shia Muslim country, including regular crackdowns and jail sentences due to their faith. House churches are not permitted, and Christian converts are beaten and arrested for gathering to worship regularly. And that comes from Christian Solidarity Worldwide. These are not fly-by-night organizations, okay? In fact, these organizations are targeted by, uh, you know, people that are part of uh, the Islamic invasion of Europe. They want to know where these people are because they're common, often death threats, particularly in London, England, Paris, France, and across Germany now. Because I, the, the, the liberal left would like people to think that these are migrants, okay, when it is a planned and organized invasion for the takeover of Western Europe. And it is going off like clockwork. I mean, it is it is hyper successful. In fact, it's happening quicker than they had originally thought it would, because the leaders of of, of Western Europe are just rolling over and dying for this invasion, and they're and they're insipid and and you know moral relativism that doesn't know the difference between right and wrong. It's no match for the robust belief and the robust determination of the people that are invading and taking over. They got lots of patience. They won't even, in fact, Yasser Arafat boasted that they said they were going to take over Europe and they won't even fire a bullet because their their most valuable weapon, the most effective weapon they have, is the womb. Western culture, post-Christian Western culture, it kills its babies. Muslims that are dedicated to worldwide jihad, they have six, seven, eight, nine kids on average. On average. All that's going to take is three or four. No, not even three or four. Just maybe a generation and a half. And sheer sheer demographics is going to take over those territories. And I've talked about this in the past. I think this is the judgment of God. I really believe that the decadence of Western culture that, you know, gives lip service to Christianity and likes to think of it as Christianity, they're not fooling God. When more of your babies are being killed for a convenience than you actually allow to come into the world, okay, God is not fooled by that. And he did it to his people Israel several times in the Old Testament. And the actual wording in many cases in the Old Testament was he brought in a, a people that were more wicked than they were to, to act as God's judgment on the hypocrisy and the decadence that's been going on in Western culture for decades. That's just my opinion. I reserve the right to be wrong. You want to give me the other side and that, you know, feel free. You know? In my opinion, that makes for good talk radio. Again, it's open line, open topic, whatever you want to talk about. I'm going to do my best to give you the biblical, you know, faith perspective on it. 343-700-4390 in the capital region. 343-700-4390. Is the long distance line. Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son. Billy's still alive. I think he's 98. You know, he's not doing public ministry anymore. He can't. He's 98, okay? Probably the most respected Christian leader in in, uh, North America. Easily. Everybody loves Billy Graham. 
And uh, his son Franklin, though, who's I think just turned 60, maybe 62, Franklin's really making statements on some political things. And a lot of people are saying, well, Franklin's not like his dad. You know, Billy Graham was just love, love everywhere and just preached the gospel, didn't get involved in politics. Well, anybody that says about Billy Graham doesn't know what he was like in the 50s and 60s. When he was rising to the fore, and the first big, you know, uh, they used to call them crusades back then. Of course, that's not politically correct to call them that now. Now, they're, you know, the last 10 years he was doing public ministry, they called it missions, you know. His mission to Ottawa, his mission to Cincinnati. Well, his big first big public mission, he packed out the L.A. Coliseum, which seats like 90,000 people, for a week. And he made national media, and that's what got him on the map. And he's been the friend of every U.S. president since. Even Donald Trump. And pe- but people forget, you know, the stance he was taking on social issues in the 50s, 60s when he was around Franklin's age. So Franklin's no different than Billy is, really, when he was at this age. Now, why am I bringing up Franklin? Well, Franklin Graham had some words for Justin Trudeau this week. Now, of course, your Canadian media is not going to report it because CBC, CTV, Global, Toronto Star, Global Mail, National Post, all they do is defend Justin, okay? They don't, I mean, they, Justin's had the biggest cakewalk of any prime minister we've ever had. Well, listen to what Franklin Graham has said, okay? And it's all the, on the whole Omar Cotter thing. We have many friends in Canada and love the Canadian people. This is Franklin Graham. They are our neighbors and have been our closest allies. As an American, I am shocked and hurt by the action Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has taken to award millions of dollars to someone who was a member of Al-Qaeda and killed an American soldier and blinded another. He posted this on Facebook last Tuesday. Franklin Graham. I'm stunned, as I think a lot of others are as well. Why would Prime Minister Trudeau do such a thing? Does this disturb you like it disturbs me? He asked his supporters. And the article goes on to talk about, uh, uh, you know, Lane Morris. Lane Morris is the medic that Omar Cotter blinded. And apparently he's been on media as well, you know, reacting to this. And I, I've let you know my thoughts. I thought that, you know, that the the kid, the guy did it when he was 15 years old. And in my opinion, he was a child soldier. Yes, a terrorist. Yes, he killed an American serviceman. Yes, and, and he spent time in jail, too. And after the time in jail, even though he committed that crime, that heinous crime at the age of 15, and I know he's shown no remorse, but he was still a kid. And I think a kid who's 15 years old that's brought up in that environment, there's no way that guy's got a chance to even rebel or go against. I don't think that it's impossible for him to even have a moral conscience being raised in that environment. Is he responsible for his actions? You're darn right he's responsible for those actions. But he committed the crime when he's 15 years old. And I reserve the right to be wrong. And if you want to call in and disagree with me, because I took a lot of heat on CFRA when we were talking about this for the last five years. A lot of people didn't like what I said. Now, having said that, my solution was, you know what, the guy's done his time, now let him get on with his life. And watch him closely because we know he's connected. Now that he's an adult, he is still connected to some very, very dangerous people who have said some very, very dangerous things. And I would show the guy, I would, I would keep a short leash on him to make sure that, that, that nothing goes on. The first time he steps out of line or he's involved with anybody that's even remotely connected to terrorism, you th- throw him in jail and throw the key away. I would think that's the fair solution. But to turn around and give the guy ten and a half million bucks after he's done what he's done, 
And our prime minister is spinning it as though, oh, you know, well, he's, he's, Canadian rights were violated. I would suggest no matter how old you are, if you murder somebody, I would, affect, I would say that affects your rights. I would suggest that in a normal universe, you are forfeiting rights when you commit a crime like that. But that would be in a normal world, wouldn't it? That wouldn't be, and here's the biblical perspective, that wouldn't be in a Romans 1, 18 to 32 world. Now, it's been about a month since I've quoted Romans 1, 18 to 32, because it is a recurring theme on this program almost every Sunday night. I'm referring to Romans 1, 18 to 32. So I'll give you a little bit of it. Read it yourself, please. Does everything have to be filtered through me? No, you need to pick up the Bible yourself and read it for yourself. Romans 1, verses 18 to 32. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what they may be since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And it says further on there, because of their outright rejection of God and morality and all things that are pure and righteous. It says that God turns his back on them and turns them over to a depraved mind, a perverted mind. And I think, I think we've got a culture that that's where they're at. And I don't mean to be hard on Trudeau because Trudeau is simply a, a, a reflection and he is, a, a, he is the result of where our culture is at. Our media and our popular culture adores the guy. Even though 71% of Canadians disagree with that decision to make Omar Khadr a multimillionaire, okay? We have the leaders we have because they reflect the priorities and the values of where our culture is at. Well, he fooled everybody. You know what? Anybody that's that's easily fooled deserves to be fooled. They do. Three four three seven hundred forty three ninety. So ask the pastor on late night council. That's three four three seven hundred forty three ninety in the capital region. One eight four four five six two four seven six six is the long distance line. That's one eight four four five six two four seven six six. You got to keep listening to the show because it's not like you know traditional standard radio where top of the news, top of the hour, you go to a news break. Bottom of the hour, you go to another news break. No, nah, no, nah, we just keep doing it. Justin Trudeau, and I just gave you a story about, you know, Christians being arrested and incarcerated in uh, Iran. It's not the only place. That's the country that, you know, uh, Obama lifted all the sanctions of because, you know, we should trust them. Well, I I don't know. It's not, you know, unbiblical to, to, you know... uh, you know, let some of the give some of the opportunity to earn your trust. Justin Trudeau's on record as stating he admires China's efficiency. Oh, he loves China. China's a wonderful place. He admires their efficiency. Well, this is coming from what's the news source here? I think it's on on the in the original. I think I posted the. Uh, uh, the tweet, okay. And if you want, if you want to get the original off me, if you if you go to Christian Post, they'll uh, uh, they'll point you in the right direction. Here's the here's the hot headline: China's Communist Party asked members to give up religion. 
promises punishment for those who resist. Oh, what a wonderful country. I admire their efficiency. Beijing, in a controversial move, and, you know, I I know this isn't coming from a, a very, you know, it, it's more the, the left. It's more the, you know, the progressive. It's more the, the, the people that, you know, that kind of put a spin and want to kind of mold your opinion. Because when they call this a controversial move, where have these people been for the last 40, 50 years? This is what China is all about. Controversial. Not for China. This is how they roll. They've always rolled like this. Since Mao Zedong, this is how they operate. China's ruling Communist Party has directed its nearly 90 million members to shun religion for maintaining party unity, warning that religious belief is a red line for the catters and those who resist would be punished. The head of China's top religious affairs regulator said that party members should not seek value in faith and religion, and those who have religious beliefs should be persuaded to give them up. Experts said the direction is meant to maintain party unity, the official media reported today. Party members should not have religious beliefs, which is a red line for all members. Party members should be firm, Marxist, atheists, obey party rules, and stick to the party's faith. Did you hear that? At least they got the honesty to acknowledge and recognize that their atheism is a faith, okay? The Chinese Marxist atheists describe their belief, it's, and it is a belief, as a faith. So please do not, you know, give me this hypocritical slop nonsense that atheists don't believe anything. Yeah, it's a faith, okay? Even the Chinese Marxists acknowledge that. Party members should be firm Marxist atheists, other, obey party rules, and stick to the party's faith. They are not allowed to seek value and belief in religion. Wang Zhuan, director of the State Administration for Religious Affairs, wrote in an article released in the Kuishi Journal on Saturday, last, you know, last Saturday, the flagship magazine of the Chinese uh, 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 People's uh, uh, Central Committee. Wang said the party members are also forbidden from supporting or getting involved in religious affairs in the name of developing the economy or diversifying culture. Elaborating on the new order by the party, Zhu Wequin, chairman of the Ethnic and Religious Committee of the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference, said it is important that Wang constantly reminds party members not to have religious beliefs. Some people who claim to be scholars support religious beliefs of the party, which has undermined the party's values based on dialectical materialism. Those values that, you know, Justin Trudeau is on record as saying he admires for their efficiency. Your prime minister, may I remind you. Apparently referring to the fast-spreading Christianity in China, which Beijing apprehends, posed a major threat as it could emerge as a force, like in previously socialist countries like Poland, to overthrow communist rule, Wang said foreign forces are infiltrating into China in the name of religion. You bet we are, Wang, and we're bringing you down, baby. You don't gotta, you don't gotta hope in Hades, pal. What did Jesus say? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let me localize it and let me put it to a maybe even a weaker task. I will build my church and the best and the, and the meanest and the most brutal of Chinese will not prevail against it. Those are Christ's words, not mine. Back to the article. Some foreign forces have used religion to infiltrate China, and extremism and illegal religious activities are spreading in some places which have threatened national security and social stability, Wang added. You know what? Christianity is at its best when it's subversive. Oh, man, we do well under persecution. We are awesome when it comes to overthrowing 
despotic, totalitarian dictators. Oh, a lot of us get killed. A lot of us have to, you know, sacrifice our lives for what we believe. But that seems to be when we're at our supernatural peak as power for power. What's the line that historians have used for centuries? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. This is stark evidence that the government of China is nervous. And they are trembling in their boots. They don't want to admit it because they like to pose and they like to posture as if, you know, they got everything under control. Well, there's cracks all through Chinese society. And it's because people are turning to Jesus Christ by the hundreds of thousands in red China. And this article puts the estimate at 65 million followers of Christ in China. And I know for a fact there's way more authoritative organizations, and they're, and they're conservative in their estimates. It's more like about 150 to 200 million now. We're talking 10 to 15% of the entire population of red China secretly worship, worshiping Jesus Christ. It's not going to be Walmart that brings down China. It's not going to be, you know, wonderful diplomatic relations with the Pacific Rim. It's going to be the body of Christ that brings down that godless, brutal dictatorship. It's not all bad news on this show. Some of the news is fantastic. Like that one. And when they come after me, in fact, they're probably going to come after me for my next story, okay? So I'm going to give you, you know, another message from our sponsors. And uh, then I'm going to play a tune of what my attitude is, you know, when they come for me. Because in my next story that I'm going to share with you, that's, you know, if we don't get a call. And the calls always take precedence over what I'm doing, okay? 343-700-4390 in the Capital Region. 343-700-4390. okay? So you're going, to hear, you're going to hear from our sponsors, and then you're going to hear somebody singing, you know, who used to be the lead singer from the Eagles, talking about how John's going to react when they come after him because he's, you know, he's, he's actually, you know, talking about the Bible. So you stay right where you are, okay? EMM Group is the authorized Integraspec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600.
ain't going quietly. And for you school teachers and people that are hung up on grammar, I am not going quietly. Are you ready for a fun story? I got a fun story here. This I like this. This is so fun. Now, you might get ticked off at me for this, but that's yeah, great. Call in. We'll have a yak about it. This is a fun story. Uh, does the name Ken Ham ring a bell? Ken Ham is uh, probably one of the highest profile names in the whole creation science subculture of Christianity. Okay? And uh, a few years back, he opened up what is the world's largest creation science museum in Williamstown, Kentucky. Okay? Atheists hate this guy. Because he's pretty good. He knows his stuff. Now, I have had creation scientists, you know, on this program often. And and uh, the ones I've had on, Lawrence Tisdale, uh, a guy by the name of Bruce Anderson from Michigan, um, and a few others uh, over the years, you know, these guys are actually, they know their stuff scientifically better than Ken Ham does. But Ken Ham is no slouch. Ken Ham's been at it for 30 years, and he's much more of an entrepreneur than he is, you know, a scientific mind. And he's got he's got some pretty good, you know, scientific minds behind his museum. And the latest feature of his creation museum in Williamstown, Kentucky, the guy has built himself, a, get this, a replica of the Ark, a life-size replica of the Ark with the same dimensions that are laid out in the Bible. The thing's 300, no, 450 feet long. Like, whatever the dimension, I think it's 60 feet wide, 45 feet high. It is impressive. In fact, go Google right now, you know, a Ken Ham arc, and you'll see a picture of it. Now, it's gotten in, (laughs) I love this, it's so fun. It has gotten in the news because, okay, and here I'll go straight to the article and start reading it to you, okay? Part of it. Ken Ham. President of the Answers in Genesis Christian Ministry that built the $100 million, 100 million bucks for this, Ark Encounter Biblical Theme Park in Williamstown, Kentucky. In other words, it started as a creation science museum, and it still has that element to it, but it's turned into this great, big, huge operation, okay? He's the guy that built a $100 million park, Ark Encounter Biblical Theme Park in Williamstown, Kentucky, He's got the LGBT community in upset, okay? He's got them upset Tuesday when he announced that he will be reclaiming the rainbow for God with permanent rainbow lights. And there's pictures of this online. You've got to see it, okay? Google Ken Ham Ark Rainbow. You'll see pictures of it, okay? He's got permanent rainbow lights lighting up the life-size Noah's Ark replica. Here's what he said. We now have new permanent rainbow lights at the Ark Encounter so all can see that it is God's rainbow and he determines its meaning in Genesis 6, Ham said in a statement on Facebook. The rainbow is a reminder God will never again judge the wickedness of man with a global flood. Next time, the world will be judged by fire. That's comforting. The Ark is lit permanently at night with a rainbow to remind the world that God owns it and he decreed it it as a sign of his covenant with man after the flood. 
Christians need to take back the rainbow as we do at the Ark Encounter, he added. Okay? I mean, you talk about... Well, you tell me what the guy's... Is he picking a fight here, or is he reclaiming something that was hijacked from people of faith? I would suggest that he's reclaiming something that was hijacked by people of faith. And, of course, the reaction is like crazy here. Chris Hartman, director of the Kentucky fairness campaign told usa today at the time that the at the at the time that the rainbow well listen to this he said that the rainbow is a symbol of love acceptance unity and inclusion none of which mr ham or his operation embracer embody well you know you may think that mr hartman but that's not what it was originally you have hijacked it and assigned your meaning to it and I have to remind people that the first time in recorded history that anybody refers to or writes about a rainbow is in the Bible. That's where meaning and purpose is first assigned and symbolism, the first time symbolism, meaning, and purpose is ever assigned to the rainbow is in the Bible. A good 500 to 1,000 years before anybody else said anything of what a rainbow is or what it's all about. So for him to say that's what it means, no, 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 no. That's what, that's what you say it means. Hey, and everybody's entitled to their opinion. So I throw that story out to you if you want to call in. Is he picking a fight or do you like what he's doing here? Another comment. I think the symbol, this is from a lot of comments were on uh, like Facebook. I think the symbol has already been lost. Might have been a good idea decades ago when homosexuality started claiming the symbol for their own, but it's too late now. Christianity does not have the cultural power to reclaim it. I totally disagree. I mean, the Bible says that God created it, and unless you want to twist history, you know, and it wouldn't be the first time, would it? Because, you know, that's what's going on in academic institutions all around the world, especially with any references to uh, uh, faith and its influence in history, particularly. History's being twisted all the time in our academic institutions, unless you're going to do that. The first time a rainbow is ever mentioned, any writing in recorded history, it's in the Bible. So I would suggest that is the most authoritative and most original description of what it's symbolic of. And what it's all about. And it's quite clear. And you may not like Ken Ham, and you may not like his tactics, but the guy's right on this one. I think it's kind of fun. I do. <laughs> you got to see the pictures. you got to go on Google. Ken Ham, Ark, Rainbow, and you see this. I mean, the thing is huge. It is huge. It's as big as a small cruise ship. And there it is right in the middle of Kentucky, part of their theme park, and it, at night it's lit up with a rainbow. ha, <laughs> ha. Maybe I got a bent sense of humor. I don't know. I don't know if I can laugh about this next one here, but it's along the same kind of theme here. Canadian man convicted of murder wins right to spend life in a women's prison as a transgender. How do you like that? A man who identifies as a woman is serving a sentence for first-degree murder and is serving a, 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 a sentence for first-degree murder, is now allowed to spend the rest of his life in a British Columbia women's prison. According to our, I don't know, what do you call them laws now? I, I, I have a tough time calling them laws. It just seems like th- th- this country is getting crazier all the time. 
we were talking about this earlier tonight, and I've got, I've got a friend, uh, 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 um, uh, a lady that's part of our church, and she works with correctional services, and she's in prison all the time, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, works with, uh, in women's prisons. And she says, this guy is going to get jumped in prison. And, like, remember, this guy has not gone through, like, any genital, you know, like, uh, removal here, okay? He says he's identifying as a woman. He's going to step into that prison, and this was her words, he is going to get mobbed. And they're not going to want to beat him up. They're going to want to do something else. That's her words. Difficult for me to argue with her logic. Back to the article. The inmate, Fallon Obi, who was convicted in 2003 for a gang-related killing, will be transferred to a woman prison Tuesday, according to CBC News. Obi, whose first name was Jean-Paul, will be among the first federal prisoners to be transferred after policy changes at Correctional Services Canada that allows such transfers based on gender identity and not biological sex. Jennifer Metcalf, a spokeswoman for the West Coast Prison Justice Society, was quoted as saying, Every cell, every cell in Jean-Paul Obi's body says he's male. And me saying that, even me reporting that, even me reporting the biological fact that every chromosome, every cell in his body says that he is male, even me saying that is soon going to have me, you know, charged with hate crimes. According to pending Canadian legislation that is already before the books, and there's no reason why it's not going to pass. Can you believe that? Stating a biological fact, an irrefutable biological fact. Can get you arrested in Canada. This is the Canada your neighbors, your co-workers, your media, your government. This is the Canada that they want, that your neighbors want. Well, not everyone in Canada is a lemming running off the cliff for this, okay? Because there's been a bit of pushback here. And if that legislation goes through and Andrew Scheer becomes the Prime Minister of Canada in 2019, okay, if he doesn't repeal some of these extremely bigoted and anti-freedom, you know, uh, 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 laws that have passed under the guise of so-called human rights... then we're going to be even further up Poop Creek without a paddle, an outboard, or a life preserver. Especially you people of faith. We're going to be doing time. We will be. We will be doing time. But here's a bit of the pushback. Campaign Life Coalition. I love Campaign Life Coalition. I mean, most of, them are, most of Campaign Life Coalition is run by Roman Catholics, but boy, what wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people. I can't say enough good about these guys. Their vice president, Jeff Gunnerson. This law will not be used as some sort of shield to defend vulnerable transsexuals, but rather as a weapon with which to bludgeon people of faith and free-thinking Canadians who refuse to deny truth. Refuse to deny truth. Well, that's your truth. No, it's not my truth. I said it again. You, It is irrefutable. Every cell in that man's body who thinks he's a woman and wants you to refer to him as a woman, and the guy who's going around calling himself Caitlyn Jenner, every cell in his body, every cell in his body says that he is male. You cannot change your gender. 
It is impossible. You can have surgery. You can take hormone treatments. You can you can put lumps where there aren't lumps. You can take away bumps where there have been bumps. It's not going to change the DNA code of every cell in your body. It's one thing about the, it's one thing about the whole LGBTQ activist movement. Okay, they can't stand facts. Well, you know what? Biological facts do not care about your feelings. They don't. They don't change. And that is not hateful at all. I'll tell you why I get so passionate about this. Because there's a lot of people that are confused about their gender. A lot of people are confused about their sexuality. And they're being handed a bill of goods by people who don't care about them at all. All they care about is their own power and their own position in society. And we got, we got emotional and we got basket cases all over the place that are suffering because they're being handed a morality that's only making things worse for them. It's giving an aspirin to somebody who's dying of cancer. That's what it's equivalent of. Yeah, I get ticked off about it. Three four three seven hundred forty three ninety is the capital region number. That's three four three seven hundred forty three ninety. One eight four four five six two four seven six six. Is the long distance line. That's one eight four four five six two four seven six six. Yeah, I think I got. I think I'll run that tune about too much information. Fake news. Now, man, you can't even you can't even trust what you're reading anymore because you get yeah. Pretty sad when you and I don't. I will not quote anything until I've you know checked out the source and made sure that's reliable. And if you want to nail me for the source of all these articles, I can send all of them. Most of them I post. I, I think I posted most of them on Twitter or on the Late Night Council Facebook page. If you go there, all the stuff is on there. And if I've missed one, set, drop me a line or an email. Happy to share that info with you. 343-700-4390. We're right back after. Now, I'm not a big Duran Duran fan. Never have been. But I remember when this tune came out, and I thought, yeah, that's pretty good. I don't mind that, you know. That's relevant to what we're talking about, so. And I need a drink of water and catch my breath, so enjoy.
Mann. Oh my. My goodness, I, I didn't think that, you know, you hated Duran Duran that much. I'm watching my numbers of how many people are listening to the show right now, and I just lost like 30% of my audience from the time I started the tune until right now. Wow. <laughs> They're not that bad. <laughs> oh my goodness. Never had that happen. I have never played a tune. Where? I started the tune, and from the time I started the tune to the time I ended it, I, I've seen that decrease in the number of people listening. Oh, my goodness. You do not like Duran Duran. <laughs> oh, dear. 343-743-90. And, and, you know, we've only got, like, uh, how much time? we got, got about 11 minutes left, 10 minutes left in the program. And uh, I, I, I don't yell at me for uh, – uh, Josh has just sent me an email, and I'm looking here. It's been sitting there for an hour. And I've been so busy yakking and talking that I didn't look at Josh's email. It's a really good one, too. So, Josh, I want to apologize to you before I, you know, uh, um, bring your email on because it's a great question. And uh, you could still get a call in, okay? In fact, if the lines jam up, we can even go past 11 o'clock, okay? Like, if, if people start calling in, we'll see. Okay, 343-700-4390. And look, now the, now the audience is coming back. Oh, this is crazy. This is really nuts, okay? The tune's done, and now the numbers are coming back up again. Oh, wow. That's a clear message. Don't you ever play Duran Duran on, that, on your show again. 343-700-4390 in Ottawa. Capital Region, 343-700-4390. And uh, 1-844-562-4766 is long distance. That's 1-844-562-4766. Okay, here's Josh's question. This is good. Hey, John, I was wondering if someone who suffers from mental illness for their whole life goes to heaven. Now, that's not the whole question, but i got to deal with this before I go on with his email here. Josh, why wouldn't they? That's like asking John. If somebody's blind for their whole life, do they go to heaven? If somebody's, you know, been a paraplegic for their entire life, do they go to heaven? It's an illness, Josh. Okay? 
There's, there's no connection between mental illness and whether you're righteous or not. In fact, I was just thinking about your question. It's getting to the point because, you know, I spend so much time with, you know, uh, street people and poor people that most of my friends suffer from some type of mental illness, Josh. And some of those people are the most devoted, you know, passionate followers of Jesus Christ that I know. So the, 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 the shallow, superficial, initial answer to your question is, well, it's not whether you're mentally ill or not. It's, it's whether you have acknowledged Christ as your Lord and Savior. Have you acknowledged the fact that you're dead in your sins and there's no cure for our sin except the blood of Christ that was shed to pay the price for our sins? Well, who put that price on our sins? Our creator, the guy who made all the rules. The guy who, you know, is smarter than anybody else around and the only one that has the authority to wield the type of authority that he has, believe me, you wouldn't want any anybody else with the type of authority God has. Thank God he's love. Thank God he's merciful. Or we would have never had him taking on human form and dying a torturous death for our sin. God hates sin. He hates sin so much that he'd rather take on human form and be tortured to death and pay his own penalty for sin than compromise with it. He will not compromise with sin. It's got nothing to do with mental illness. And then Josh continues, I hear that's a sin to bore people. Well, you probably heard that from me, okay? And I base that belief on Matthew 18 and 6, where Jesus takes a little kid, brings him into the, in front of the disciples, and says, it's better if you have a millstone, which weighed about 2,000 pounds, it's better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and thrown into sea than causing one of these little ones who believes in me to sin. Now, in North American culture, the number one reason, kids that are raised in churches, the number one reason they leave as soon as they can and never go back again, it's usually between the ages of 11 and 14. When they're mobile and they can put up a fight, they do not want to go to church. And the main reason is they're bored silly. And I would suggest that it's a sin to bore kids like that, okay, in a church context, okay? So that explains your part of the question, but I'm going to read the entire sentence now. I hear that it's a sin to bore people, and when someone has depression, they're not going to be following the Bible as well as someone who doesn't have a mental illness. I would disagree, Josh. In my experience, I've known all kinds of people that are bipolar, that suffer from what used to be called manic depression, and lots of times they cling to the word because that's all they've got. And they get discouraged, but you see, people in the church... People that are followers of Christ, we have a responsibility to those type of people. We have a responsibility to come around them and encourage them. Now, everybody, when it comes right down to it, they're responsible for their own actions. But it's not like, you got to remember, this is a compassionate God here. And there's scriptures that say that we will be judged according to the light that we have received. In other words, some people are going to be judged way more severely. Like I expect, Josh, I expect to be judged very, very, very severely. I do. Because I, I, you know, I, I've been raised with this. I know the Bible. I've read it through. I'm going through for my 14th time right now. I've been teaching it. I've been trying to live it. So God's going to judge me way more harshly than somebody who's, you know, is hearing about Jesus or maybe seen scant mention of him on a television screen. 
I'll read you Romans 2 here because it talks about it. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Well, how much of the law? Well, that, you know, we're going to be judged by that, aren't we? Wish I could find the, I wish I had a photographic memory, you know, I could just, uh, you know, bring these scriptures up. Because I know there's scriptures that deal, you're going to be judged according to the light that you've received. Here's another one in Romans. Romans is filled with a lot of those type verses. Romans 5.13, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. And that's, you know, puts a totally different spin on the whole, you know, well, what about somebody who's, who's never heard? It's an interesting discussion. I don't mind having that discussion at all. In fact, for all I know, I might be having that discussion with whoever's on the line right now. Let's see who's on the line right now. Who's on the line with me? Who have I got? Hello? Well, now that's weird. I had them there. They were gone. They just left. Okay, whoever was on the air, I'm I'm hoping, you know, that, that there's nothing goofy going on as far as technicalities are concerned. But somebody would just called, and as soon as I brought you on, you disappeared. So I might, it's possible I might have pushed a wrong button. But uh, uh, call back right away, and we'll see if we can get you on, okay? 343-700, and I can see it's a 613 area code. So uh, 343-700-4390, that's your line. And uh, we're running out of time here, okay? You better get on here quick because I'm almost ready to go to the bye-bye music. And if you don't call in in the next minute or two, I am going to go to the bye-bye music, okay? 343-700-4390. We just had a caller. Just, just as I brought them on the line, the call was dropped somehow. And uh, when Dan called in earlier in the night, uh, listeners have uh, texted me and they've emailed me and they've told me that I was coming through loud and clear, but the call was was dropping off a little bit. So there may be a technical issue going on here, but uh, we won't know unless whoever was on the line, if you want to call, if you don't want to call in, that's your business too. 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390. 1-844-562-4766 is the long distance line. That's one 844 Five six two four seven six six, and yeah, I don't know if we're going to be able to squeeze in an email that quick, you know. But if you want to try, JC at late night council dot com, and there's there, yo, we got people tweeting in at the last minute here. Yeah, they did tweet at me, but it's just somebody liking something that I tweeted earlier in the night, and so well, thank you for that like, I appreciate that. We're out of time. Oh, there we are. Are they there? No, they're not there. I thought I had another caller there for a second. Well, let's see, let's see what we got there. Hello? Have we got Hi. anybody on the line? Hi. Who's there? Yes, it was me, and I, I thought that uh, your show was about Dan, so I hung up just as I heard you come on the line. Who's so, this? Thank you for taking my call. My name's Catherine. Hi, Catherine. How you doing? I'm doing okay. You know Some what I'm going to do for you, Catherine? I'm that. actually extending the show because you called in because I can do it because I own the station. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> What's it's on your nice mind? to have that kind of power. <laughs> Well, I, I just got an email from somebody saying that uh, um, uh, they had been listening to your show and that uh, you're for uh, the Salvation Army uh, putting this uh, this uh, institution on Montreal Road. Absolutely. And, and do, I do apologize. I don't know what the background is of why you feel that way. Uh, and I certainly would be interested in hearing that. But um, I'd also like to have a take a moment of why I disagree with you. Tell me why you don't want them there. 
I don't want the salvation there because I don't think they should be anywhere under this uh, kind of institution. It is so well documented that this does not work, that this is not a way to help those individuals in order to get off the street and stay off the street. So is that your simple reasoning right there? Pardon? Is that your simple reasoning there, or would you like to elaborate? That's my simple reasoning, but I will certainly elaborate. Uh, The Salvation Army itself uh, has stated on record that this is a business. This is their business side of their ministry, and they are in business to make a profit. And in order for them to make a profit, they have to have a product. Now, they are on record as agreeing with the city of Ottawa and the province of Ontario, as well as the federal government, that Housing First works, that they support Housing First. And yet they're building something that, according to everything on file uh, through all of these resources, should be obsolete. That building should be obsolete within less than 10 years. If everybody does what they say they're going to do, including the Salvation Army, and work towards Housing First, which can obliterate most homelessness, why are they not doing that? Why well, are they building a building the... that they must justify? They must justify this building for at least the next forty years. Homelessness is not the only because thing that they're long... dealing with. They're, they're dealing with addicts, and they're dealing with people that are you know that can't even fend for themselves because of people in mental with mental illness, for instance. Okay, right. And but and, and you're you're, you're saying you're saying that it doesn't work. I mean, I've been working with them for no, years, and I know all kinds of people that it has worked for. Whose well, lives have been uh, transformed and they never be the same the numbers, because of Sally the numbers, the numbers across North America and Europe prove that this kind of way of succeeding is very, very, very low in their success rate. Very low in comparison to other methods. Now, you can easily separate the addiction portion, which makes more sense anyways than having them all under one roof. And you can take those who are trying to fight their addictions actively away from those who are still involved with their addictions. And you can put them in smaller facilities around the city so that they don't all have to congregate in one area. The only reason these missions are in the downtown core is that when they were opened many, many years ago, there was nothing but a downtown core. But since those days, we have created all kinds of subdivisions within every city in North America. And when a subdivision is created, what follows? Dentists, doctors, social services, banks, restaurants, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, communities are built. So there's no way I'm going to be able to be convinced by anyone that having hundreds of men, homeless men, in one area is going to benefit them or the community as a whole. Well, okay, so there's no way I'm going to convince you, but I am going to state my side of it, okay? First of all, when you say that they're a business in to make money, I totally reject that, okay? Because if they're to make money, they are the dumbest business people in the world because they're not making hardly anything off it, okay? And they have stated time and time again, because I've worked with them for 30 years, okay? They tell people that they are a church, okay? And it is a ministry that comes out of their church, okay? Hey, look, I didn't interrupt you when you were talking. I let you say your piece. I think you can let me say my piece now, right? Sure. But you did interrupt me. 
No, I didn't. I let you go on for a long time. And when I hear people saying that the Salvation Army is doing this to make money and it's a business, you lost me right there. Because I've been working with them for over 30 years. I've been working with them for 30 years. And anybody that says they're a business, they don't understand what they're doing at all. So that begs me to question what else you're saying. Anyway, I said I was going to, I said I was going to, you know, like let them go longer over hours, but. Man, I'm I'm I have way too much respect for the Salvation Army to degrade them by suggesting for a second that you know they're a business. They are not a business, and I'm glad to be in partnership with them. Hey, I even went overtime. Even gave her extra time to talk. Next week we're going to start at nine o'clock. Have yourself a delightful week. Thanks for tuning in.